Good morning. As everybody's filtering in, um, I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a precursor here to what it is that you're about to see, because obviously the title is kind of a bit of a kind of a bit of a shock, but I want to explain a little bit about it. How many of you, and I just want to know so, so I can understand how much uh, I need to actually really explain, have ever seen any videos or any of the information that our ministry has ever presented before? Wow, praise God, a lot of you in this room. So that helps me a lot because now I don't got to go into a huge explanation of things in the past. Um, and I want to kind of I want to kind of tell you a little bit about this project because it's a project that we've been working on for three years now. In fact, when we first started our ministry, um, we started with the intention of creating a DVD that really fully delve into and explained what happens inside your brain when you watch television or movies and did not come from a Christian perspective. And the reason that we did that was because an argument that we got from non-Christian believers or non-Adventists non a lot was, yes, I see what you're saying, but I don't believe it because you have a Christian perspective, you have a belief in God. So what we did is we've spent the last three years traveling around the whole United States talking to some of the top neurologists, UCLA, um, children, or Seattle's Children's Hospital, and getting a perspective from people who have no invested interest in God whatsoever, but are telling you exactly what this thing is doing to our minds. So those are some of the things that we're going to show today, and um, there are a few uh, clips in here for, for those that are a bit weary of heart, but the reason that I want to show you those clips is because we speak at a lot of colleges, a lot of universities, a lot of youth rallies. Um, I just came from last week at a youth rally, and when we would ask who here in this room is watching this movie or this movie or this movie, 90% of our Adventist children are watching these movies. It's still a major, major issue. So. Um, this is a new uh, production that we just released. We, uh, we, sh we actually just finished it <laughs> uh, just before we came here to ASI. Um, we'll have them available at our booth, um, and we have uh, limited copies, so please come and visit us. Before we get started, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to come together to unplug from the world, to set our, our eyes on eternal things. Lord, may you open our, our eyes, open our hearts to the messages that you want us to hear. Lord, may you anoint my lips. May this message be from your throne on high. And may everyone in this room and those individuals that have, have no, re, no understanding why they walked into this room, Lord, may there be something that is said that just raptures their hearts to want to have a closer relationship with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the title, when I was asked to give this presentation, um, they wanted me to talk about mainstream media and what kind of an effect this has on families. And it was kind of an interesting idea because I had sort of looked into it, but not really. 
So I want to, um, I want to, uh, I want to read a couple Spirit of Prophecy quotes to put this in perspective for you. And uh, this one, uh, if you read the description of this, this particular talk, this is what, uh, what I actually had written on there. The greatest evidence of the power of Christianity can be presented to the world is a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. This will recommend the truth as nothing else can, for it is a living witness of the practical power upon the heart. The family unit is, is an amazing tool that God is using to teach the world these various different truths. The father, what is the role of the father in the family? He's the lawmaker, the priest. All the members of the family center around the father. He is the lawmaker, illustrating in his own manly bearing the, the sterner values, energy, integrity, honesty, patience, courage, diligence, practical usefulness. The father is in one sense the priest of the household laying upon the altar of God in the morning and evening sacrifice. And if you continue to read on, all, a lot of these quotes are coming from Adventist Home. If you haven't read this book in a while, I, I suggest read it. There is some amazing information here in the light of the television and things. You'll see things pop out that are, that are amazing. And, she, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm recently a father. I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And um, just after this quote right here, she talks about the father being the priest of the household, needing to pray for the sins that your children have committed. I'd never really thought of that before. And I said, that's interesting. It's interesting that the, the mini model that God has given to us is even just a microcosm of this great model of, of, of Christ being our Father and, and, and God being our Father. The mother. So if the family centers around the Father, don't get ahead of yourself, men. The queen of the home is the mother. The king upon his throne has no higher work than that of his mother. This is amazing. The mother has a almost a more important role. The mother is the queen of the household. She has in her power the molding of her children's characters, that they may be fitted for a higher immortal life. An angel could not ask for a higher mission, for in doing this work she is doing the service of God. Let her only realize her high character of her task, and it shall inspire her with courage. Let her realize the worth of her work and put on the whole armor of God that she may be able to resist temptation to conform and to conform to the world's standards. Her work is for a time and eternity. The role of the mother to teach the children and instill in them the characteristics that are setting you up for an eternity. The children, Proverbs 6.20 says that the children's, uh, what are they supposed to do in this role of the family? My son, keep thy father's commandments and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thy heart and tie them about your neck. So the children, the way that God set this up is that the mother and the father teach the children. The children learn from them and take on these characteristics and the cycle continues. And thus that's what describes God's character to the world. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I found this um, that was pretty interesting to me. In the marriage vows, they have promised to be as one. The wife co um, covenanting to, to love and obey her husband, and the husband promising to love and cherish his wife. If the law of God is obeyed, the demon of strife will be kept out of the family, and no separation of interest will take place. No alienation of affection will be permitted. 
What this is telling me that is in the family unit, if we are sold out to God, sold out to Christ, teaching our children in the model that God has set up, do you know that she goes on to say it's almost impenetrable by Satan to enter into our families? But you know what every single one of us has as a family member inside of our families? A window, a portal, something that allows the thoughts and, and things of the world to be channeled into our lives. So this is why I believe it is very important to understand what proper use of media is. Is there good media? Is there bad media? You know what? I make media productions for a living. I love media. I believe that it's a beautiful tool and can be used for God. I'm not against all media, but there is a proper use of it and a way that it can be used so it's not hypnotic and not putting people into altered states like a lot of the mainstream media. So that's why in, in the title of this, it was mainstream media is what destroys family. You know, in television, they're flipping the model that God has set up. Ellen White talks about the father must not be as a child or moved merely by impulse. He is bound by his family's sacred, holy ties. Here you see constantly over and over and over again from television shows, from movies, how do they always portray the father? He's this dumb guy. He's always this, like, moved by impulse. He doesn't think things through. How do they always portray the mother? That she's so caring about the material things of this world, not about the character, not about what's inside. It's about the outside. They're taking the model of what God is setting up and flipping it upside down. And so, by taking this apart, they're, they're ultimately dividing and conquering against our families. The Modern Family, this is a CBS t television show that, is, that has come out recently. Um, I'm not gonna go into a big explanation of this, but you know, here you have like uh, uh, marriages that have been broken apart and pulled together. Um, here's um, two gay guys that are entered into a marriage relationship, and it's basically this real dysfunctional look at families together, but they're putting their, this out to the public as this is what the modern family should look like. And if you just take a step back and analyze how does mainstream Hollywood portray a family and then look at what either Spirit of Prophecy or the Bible says about it, you start to see a stark contrast between the two. I want to show you this because I think this is pretty interesting. The United States Labor Board did a study on what people are spending their time with. Okay, So this is the average person, the average American that has a job, and what are they doing with their time? Notice here, people sleep 8.91 hours out of the day. I thought that was kind of high, but this is what they're finding out. Eating, you only eat for an hour out of the day. Household activities, um, caring for others in the, in the household was only 1.6 hours out of the day nurturing a child, whatever it is that you gotta do. Purchasing goods, leisure time and sports, now this is interesting, 3.63 hours. So almost four hours out of the day, we spend doing whatever it is that we want to do. Now, civic and religious activities, 20 minutes out of the day. 0.2 out, out of the entire day is actually spent reading your Bible or doing anything for your church. So I want you to notice these stark contrasts 
Notice how the leisure time often is spent in television and of course people go to work for 5.7 hours out of the day. So this tells you right here what people are spending their time with, average persons. Um, here's, here it is in children, 15 through 19, even far less in the religious department, but still 3.9 hours watching television, Facebook, internet. These are what has our children's attention. This is what has our, our nation's attention, is the television. Um, this comes from our high calling. Life is short, the things of this world must perish with their using. Let us be wise and build for an eternity. We cannot afford to be idle away our precious moments or engage in busy activities that will bring forth no fruit for eternity. I want you to think about that for a second. I often get a question in mind all the time. Just give me a list. I want a list. Give me what movies I can watch and what television shows I can watch and, 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 and which one's okay and which one's not. You'll never ever hear a list come out of my mouth because it's not a list that I'm trying to get everyone to understand. It's a principle, what I'm trying to get everyone to understand. The more that you spend time getting to know God, the more the time that you spend diving into your Bible, the more you watch television, the more you go, ah, I don't want that in my life. So this is what I'm talking about, spending time. We live in a time frame right now in the end of the world where we don't have time to waste anymore. Maybe this was fine two, three, four hundred years ago. Maybe it was fine that you could spend a lot of this leisure time. But since 1844, since this investigative judgment has come about, we now have a specific task as a church, as a people, to do we don't have time to be wasting on things of not eternal value. Okay? Let the time hereto be devoted to idleness, frivolity, worldness, be spent in gaining a knowledge of the scriptures, in beautifying our lives and blessings, and ennobling the life and characters of others. This work will meet the approval of God and win for us the heavenly benediction of well done, thou good and faithful servant. When I get to heaven, do you want to know the greatest thing that I'm looking forward to hearing from, from, from my loving Savior when I meet him? Thank you, Scott, for what you did. Well done. Well done. You know what the worst thing I'm going to hear? Why didn't you open your mouth to that guy? Why didn't you spend more time witnessing over here? This person could have been here, but they're not. Those are the worst things I'm going to hear in my ears. So let's talk about your brain. A lot of you that have seen our other presentations um, this may be review for you, but I want to put this in perspective because as we start to dive into some of these other people's uh, uh, perspectives on what's going on inside your brain, you need this understanding. You have a left side and you have a right side of your brain. Your left side is your analytical, critical, logical side. It's what compartmentalizes every piece of information that comes in your brain. You think about it, your brain makes decisions about it, and it puts it away and files it in different places. Your right side of the brain is your, your uh, creativity, your artistic side, your emotional side. And what it does is it basically reacts to things in, a, in a, uh, a different way than the analytical side does. They have found out, if you want to read studies by either Jerry Mander, Herbert Krugman, any of these guys that have studied the television for a long time, they found out in less than 29 seconds, your brain, when you watch television, 
flips from the left side of your brain into the right side of your brain. Because it's so much information, it can't compartmentalize it all at one time. So to compensate, it reacts emotionally off of things and doesn't think about the things at the time that it goes in. Okay? You have brainwave patterns inside of your brain. Delta, theta, alpha, and beta. Delta is when you're asleep. Theta is when you're in light sleep. Alpha is when you're kind of in that dream state. You can walk around in alpha state all the time. These are states that God designed our brains to work in. I'm not saying that any one of these states is an evil state, but what I am saying is that when you're in these different states, different things happen inside your brain. When you're in alpha brainwave pattern, you are in your optimum amount of suggestibility possible. Now, when you sit down and you watch television, just staring at a blinking light, you could be watching 3ABN, anything. Stare at a blinking light, you go into alpha brainwave pattern. Your brain is very suggestible at that state because it has to process all this information. Okay? So, when you put yourself forcibly in that state, it's, it's, it's where it becomes dangerous on what you allow into your mind. Now, when you um, go into the state of hypnosis, they put you in alpha brainwave pattern. If anyone in the occult talks about doing spells on people, you read any sort of occult literature on how they put spells on people, they always want you in alpha brainwave pattern because it's the most suggestible state. Now, we wanted to get a perspective on how does the television affect our minds. So what we did was we went all the way back to the very beginning. How does it affect a child's mind? Is there good things? Is there bad things? This guy, Dimitri Christakis, is from Children's Hospital in, in um, Seattle, Washington. And um, it was a very interesting interview. I think he was rather annoyed that we were taking up his time. So um, <laughs> he was rushing through things, um, but nonetheless, He's not saying any of this information because he's a Christian or wants to tell you anything positive about the television. These are just hard, cold facts. He spent 10 years studying the television. And listen to what he says about it affecting a child's development. The concern I had was that uh, exposing the developing brain to the rapid sequencing of television programs, particularly baby DVDs, which are more rapidly sequenced even than normal television, uh, would precondition the mind to expect high levels of input, and that would lead to shorter attention spans later in life. Reality couldn't, if you will, keep pace with the expectations that had been created by watching too much fast-paced programming later in life. Uh, and we found just that, that the more television that babies watched before the age of three, the more likely they were to have attention problems later in life. Specifically, for each hour that they watched on a typical day uh, before the age of three, their chances of having attentional problems were increased by about 10%. So to put that another way, a baby who watched two hours of TV a day before the age of three would be 20% more likely to have attentional problems at age seven compared to a child who watched none. And we followed that initial study up by looking at what children watched because, as you might imagine, not all shows are paced the same. And if our hypothesis was right, then the more fast-paced programs they watched the greater their risk would be of having attentional problems. And that's exactly what we found. The more fast-paced programs they watch, the higher their risk. Slow-paced programs, particularly those that took place in real time, didn't appear to increase the risk at all. So that was part of a series of early studies uh, looking into what I call the overstimulation hypothesis, that you can overstimulate the developing brain. So here's what he's saying. And this is 
why I want to show you this and why I want to bring this out is because he brings up an excellent point. What they noticed is fast-paced programming affects your mind in a different way than things that take time in real time. So that's why if you watch 3ABN or something, it's not as damaging. In fact, they found that there's no damage that, that happens and occurs at that point. It's the things that are like cut, 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 cut. And if you watch television in today's modern world, you notice real quick how fast they're moving your mind through things. So you have to be careful of that. Now here he is talking about children. This is actually uh, my son here. I took a video of him because I wanted to show you this. This is him just really playing. He's playing with balls. He's playing with little things. He's constantly putting things in his mouth. When you're born, you know you're born with all the neurons you're ever going to have. Did you know that? And did you know that the neurological connections that you're able to make as a child is unprecedented throughout your entire life? You have more ability to make those neurological connections than you do at any other time in your life than when you're a baby. It is fascinating. And that's how you can throw six languages at a child and he can learn it like this. Try, try learning six languages. You, there's no way. It's impossible. But here's what is happening. God created us this way for a reason. Because when he gave us the start of life, he said, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. And your brain has the ability to do amazing things. And what happens is you have these neurological connections here in between the neurons where you have a sheath that's placed over those connections. Every time you make a connection over the axon of the neuron, there is a myelon sheath that is placed over that connection. And over and over and over again, you have this sheath, and it, and it strengthens and, and builds and grows be and better. But when you're about the age of 10, 11, and 12 years old, your brain releases an enzyme that dissolves all poorly myelinated connections. So like the old saying goes, if you don't use it, you lose it. That's how and why children, and the reason I showed you my, my son playing there, they need to experience the world. They need to taste things, touch things, look at things. Their brain is making billions and billions of neurological connections about the world. Who's who? What's what? How does this work? How does that work? That's what a child's mind is doing. When you place them in front of a television, guess what a child does? They don't do anything. You're robbing them of this important time for them to make all these connections. And by the time they get to be 10, 11, 12, and they haven't done anything, they've spent three, four hours out of the day like children are spending today, now all of a sudden, you've robbed them of that precious time to build those connections in their brain. So here, he's talking about a little DVD company called Baby Einstein. How many of you have heard of those? Lots of people. Did you actually know that they've done studies on there and said it's actually damaging to your children? So here's what he's actually telling you about. Which brings us to Baby Einstein. Now, many of you probably have not seen Baby Einstein, but I will show you a random 20-second clip from Baby Einstein Day on the Farm, and, and here it is. that 20-second clip, there were seven scene changes, about one every three seconds. It's about the most exhausting day on the farm since John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath. 
And of course, it's nothing like being on a real farm, right? Adults watching this find it discombobulating because your mind is trying to make a coherent narrative out of this, and there is no coherent narrative. It jumps all over the place. But babies aren't trying to make a coherent narrative out of it. They're not capable of doing that. It's all of that screen change, all of that stimulation that's keeping them actually engaged in the screen. So we've had for a while what we call the overstimulation hypothesis, which is that prolonged exposure to this rapid image change during this critical window of brain development would precondition the mind to expect high levels of input. And that would lead to inattention in later life. So you watch enough Baby Einstein day on the farm as a baby, and when you go to a farm as a school-aged child, it's boring. It's too slow. How come there's no sheep suddenly popping into my face? How come there's no marionette going back and forth? Why do I have to walk from here to there? That's the general idea, that you're conditioning the mind to that reality, which doesn't actually exist. Now, I want you to think about that in spiritual terms. I want you to think about growing up, watching all these exciting movies, and then read your Bible. Wait a minute. Nothing's blowing up. Nobody's changing colors. The pastor isn't jumping around and exploding. You condition your mind to accept high levels of, of excitement, and then when you want to sit there and you want to watch a pastor preach, it's boring. We have to be careful overstimulating our systems. It's an interesting time that we live in, and I believe that, that you can have creative productions. I'm not saying that they have to be just boring like Mr. Rogers, one shot for five minutes. But we need to be careful how we use this medium. I want to talk about the advertising industry, because we've spent a lot of time looking into the advertising industry, because as you know, they use all these mental tricks to sell you products. Now, this guy is the guy that makes the little method. Um, he, his company name is, is Method. If you've ever been to Target and you've seen like Target's um, um, soaps and everything and it says Method on it, here's the guy that created that. Here's, he's going to talk about what advertising is to him. What is marketing? What is art? Part of marketing is about creating emotional responses. And I mean, that's the whole idea of art, right? It's why you go to a museum. It's why art, art influences, inspires us. And applying that to marketing is something we've always thought you know, very heavily about. It's about bringing design, um, bringing emotion and creativity and passion. So art is meant to affect someone, right? That's, that's, that's a basic understanding of art that any artist will tell you. I don't make art just because I want to make art. I make art to influence or affect people. Every artist says that same sort of thing. Here um, is another guy who's talking about what Marketing is how do you sell things to people? I want you to notice a word that keeps popping up because this is going to become very important towards the end of this presentation. Emotion. Emotion, emotion, emotion. You're going to see emotion pop up in all of these guys' talks. And why is emotion important to understand in the context of movies? Uh, wait a Who in this room has ever bought something they didn't really need? Yeah? Okay, some people have got two hands up. Um, so you're standing in front of it, you're going, I don't need it, can't afford it, it's not practical, and you walk out with it. Why? <laughs> because of the emotion it makes you feel to buy it. My favourite business writer, and I'm sure some of you share this, is a guy called Tom Peters. 
Now, I, I was reading an interview he did with an executive from Harley-Davidson. So he's interviewing their top executive. And he said halfway through the interview, yeah, but you just sell motorbikes. And the executive said, Tom, you have missed the point. He said, we don't sell motorbikes. And Tom Peters says, well, what do you sell? He said, we sell the ability for a 43-year-old accountant to dress in black leather, drive through a small country town, and have people be afraid of him. <laughs> he said, we sell an emotion. We sell a feeling. He said, if you use logic to buy a motorbike, you'd buy a Japanese one, because they're awesome. He said, you buy a Harley because of how it feels, not how logically you think. And it doesn't take a lot of time to watch commercials. Pay attention to commercials and how they portray products. Every product, Apple, one of the greatest people ever, what they're doing is, is how do you feel when this is in your hand? How do these Nike shoes make you feel? Can you run that million mile sprint in 10 minutes? No, probably not. But they make you feel if you have these products, you can do these amazing things. Feeling is the very basis of how they sell things to you. Okay? Any marketer will tell you that. Now, I want to talk about subliminal advertising. Some of you have seen this from our, our, our previous presentations, but it, but, it, but it wants to illustrate a point. Um, the word sex is written in the flowers. When you take it away, you'll always see the word sex written in there. This is a, an example of subliminal advertising. So when you first see this image, you probably don't ever notice that. But once you see it, it, it is always there. It's right there in the middle, okay? So here's the example of them using it in real life. Here's Skittles. They, they put these things together. Your mind is very brilliant. It puts these uh, things together. These are um, very real products. You can go to Target. You can look at it. Uh, Axe. Notice how the S is written in smoke, E-X. There's also another one, totally same thing, S-E-X. And I've even seen other products that are body washes and stuff that have little images in the corner that say 33% more, and then has a picture of a girl. Psychologically, what does that tell a boy? That I'll get 33% more what? Soap? That's interesting. So. Be careful of this. This is how they're selling products to you. They're attaching things to you emotionally. In fact, if you've seen any of the latest Kia commercials, you see that they use this dream guy who, who, who he's like walks in, tiptoes into the uh, room when they're sleeping, and he spills the, the, the magic dust on him, and he goes into this dream and dreams that he's driving down the road with these beautiful girls driving by and all this, right? So why do they sell a car with a beautiful girl? Because they're pushing those pleasure buttons in your head and then attaching their product to you. So that's what they're doing. They're, they're basically emotionally selling you things and emotionally getting you attached to them by just saying, who, you know, who here does not think pleasurably about this beautiful gift that God gave us? And then they're selling you these products. Another thing that we looked at, which is very interesting, is a little chemical inside of all of our brains. Mostly, we hear about it from a woman's perspective called oxytocin. And oxytocin is a hormone that's released in a woman's brain when she has a child. And high, high levels of oxytocin is released because it's what is associated with bonding to the children, bonding people together. And we all uh, exude oxytocin at some levels, but um, this is meant, and God gave us this hormone, to basically bond us together. So what Hollywood has done 
is they have commissioned and looked into this um, neuroeconomist named Paul, uh, Dr. Paul Zak. He's actually from Loma Linda University. We went down to Loma Linda University and we asked all the neurology department if we could interview anybody. And this was one of the guys that said he would let us interview him. And he's done research into this oxytocin. He's been on Dr. Phil, he's been on, on Oprah, he's been on all kinds of all over. You can look this guy up, it's pretty interesting information. But listen to what he says about oxytocin and what he says about the advertising industry understanding about oxytocin because what they want to do is they want to release oxytocin in your brain when you watch their commercials so that you're bonding to their commercials like you would bond to a child. Discovered that this hormone called oxytocin facilitates trust between strangers. Is when someone trusts you, your brain releases this, and it motivates you to reciprocate, to be trustworthy. So this led us into a variety of studies where we both measured and manipulated oxytocin in the human brain to figure out why we had so much trust between strangers. So since we've done that, we started looking at trust in other things, like in people you don't know, politicians, the government, um, advertisers. So for advertising, we asked this question, which is, why are there puppies in toilet paper commercials? Puppies don't use toilet paper, they have nothing to do with toilet paper, unless you're really out of toilet paper, you might use the puppy. So what's going on with that? So we all know intuitively that advertisers want to grab our emotions. They want to engage us in this product. They want us to trust them, to trust this product. So we started thinking that maybe this has something to do with oxytocin. So let me describe an experiment we ran to test that. So we had an experiment where we had people view public service advertisements, like don't drive drunk, here's what can happen to you. And we put half the people in the experiment on oxytocin and half on placebo. So we can infuse oxytocin into your brain through your nose and oxytocin will get into your brain. What we found is that when oxytocin was raised, that is when you're in this trusting state, this empathic state, people did say they cared about the people in the commercials more. And more tellingly to me, when we gave them an option to donate money to these different causes, people on oxytocin donated more of their own money that they earned for this experiment to these particular causes. So it seems like advertisers have figured out how to get our brains to release oxytocin and make us trust, want, identify with their project. Things like uh, during a wedding, we measured oxytocin during wedding vows recently, and the bride had a 28% increase in her oxytocin, the groom had an increase, family members had an increase. So we have this chemical that below our conscious awareness is bonding us together as a human family. And so it plays on a variety of the things that we see on TV and the movies. So an example of that is... So, basically, have you ever heard somebody talk about a movie actor or something and say, I love that guy. I love that movie. Right? Do you really love that person? Do you really know that person? But you know what? We have these chemicals inside of our brain that bond us to things. And, and usually, he goes on to say that, that it's formed in familiarity. So the more you become familiar with something, the more bonded you become with it. Think about that spiritually. The more familiar be, you become with sin, the more bonded you become with it. It's very interesting when you really look at the scientific evidence of what's going on inside of our brains. So here is an example. Another thing that they're using in um, advertising a lot is the trick of hypnosis. And so what you'll see, and this is a simple example of, of virgin mobile phones, okay? And what you'll see is all sorts of hypnotic tactics being used. 
and I'll explain this in a second. You deserve Virgin Mobile, but something in your brain is afraid to switch. It's time to retrain your brain. Retrain your brain. Retrain your brain. Retrain your brain. Virgin Mobile. All the phones you want. Get one or eight. Now question. I'm not going to show you the whole commercial just for the sake of time. What does a shark have anything to do with your phone? What does a little brain jumping across the table want anything to do with your with, with, with phone? Let me tell you something about hypnosis that, that, that I have learned. Your brain does not like to be confused. Do you know that? If you know how stage hypnosis people put you in a state of hypnosis, there's a thing called pattern interrupt. And what it is, is our brain has various different um, um, commands in our brain that are built into our brain. Here's a perfect example. Why did you just hold out your hand? Because you have a program in your brain that tells you when somebody holds out your hand, your brain goes, oh, I'm going to hold out my hand and shake his hand. He didn't think about it. He just did it. So now what a hypnosis or stage hypnosis person will do, how they interrupt your brain is if I were to do this and then, and then go sleep or something like that. Then his brain's confused. Why did he tell me to sleep? And what your brain does is it goes into an interruption state. And in that interruption state, they're able to throw a command at you. And at that command is how they can put people to sleep or do whatever it is that you want to do. So a simple example of when they show you a TV commercial like that, where it absolutely has this randomness to it, your brain goes into an interrupting state, and you try to make sense of it. And when you make sense of it, they throw you a command. And you'll notice they'll say things like, buy this virgin phone, or whatever they, they tell you. That's a command, buy the phone. Okay? These are all tricks. So what it caused us to do is to say, you know what, I want to understand this hypnosis thing because, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now, I do not condone his hypnosis at all, okay? I believe that God is a powerful, all-powerful God and he could do anything under the sun. To have somebody hypnotize me to achieve a certain goal is saying that God cannot do that. I need man to rewire my brain so that I achieve whatever goal it is to do, okay? But I went to a hypnotherapist and interviewed him to understand how hypnosis works because I don't really understand it completely. And here is one of the hypnosis um, therapists that we went to. Really nice guy. In fact, um, 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 if you just met him on the street, really great guy. But here he's going to explain how hypnosis works a little bit. What they'll do with hypnosis, and this is where people become susceptible to it, is they'll overwhelm you with information. So you look at a commercial, and you see all this information that comes all in at one time, and you see this goofy stuff, and you go like, what is going on there? So what you've just done now is go into a questioning part of your mind. You've got a ton of new information, and you're trying to figure out what it is. So they want to get you into an emotion. You think about the commercial. Does the commercial get you an emotion? Not really. They rely on the TV show to get you into the emotion. The cliffhanger, they go right to break. And you go, oh, wow, I can't wait. To, it's going to be over. The commercial comes on. You're in state. Pavlov's dog, remember, ringing the bell, the dog salivating. And then all of a sudden, they got this new information that comes in. And the information is meant in to get you into using that state that you're now in, that curiosity, that cliffhanger, that anxiety, so to speak, of what's going to happen next and associate their product with So did you hear what he said? 
I know it's kind of hard to hear, and I turned up the volume all the way, but um, um, any time you want to put somebody under a state of hypnosis, it always boils down to emotion. Anytime they put you in a state of, of, of hypnosis, they're attaching things to your emotions. So just like what he said, does a commercial really get you into an emotion? Mm-mm, it doesn't. It's the TV show that gets you into the motion. Now think about the Super Bowl, okay? One of the greatest like, commercial times that we have that people love to watch the Super Bowl just to watch the commercials and why they're paying umpteen millions of dollars for 30 seconds of time, is it because everybody's watching the television show? It's because everybody's in a heightened state of emotion. Anytime you want to change anybody mentally, you heighten their state of emotion and then you can change them. And that's why they're able to sell that advertising time at a greater rate. So that's what's going on right here. Everybody watches these games and they're so excited about the games and then all of a sudden they cut to the commercial. And then it's confusion. The brain's confused and it wants to make sense of the confusion. And all of a sudden they get everybody in a state of hypnosis and hit their product with you. And notice the dings and the dongs that happen during these commercials. Taco Bell. Free to think about or, or think outside the bun, dong, and they show you the Taco Bell. McDonald's, I'm loving it. All these things are little jingles and tricks to sell you their products. Now, here is an example of neuro-linguistic programming. Okay? This is programming somebody's brain using language, and how it works is you're basically giving people commands that are different than what you're saying out of your mouth. Here's a, here's, here's a perfect example. If I were to tell you I like smart people, and, I, and I'm touching myself like this, what I'm really telling you in your brain is that I'm smart by, by accentuating myself and saying I like smart people. It tells your brain a different piece of information. This guy, Darren Brown, is going to take this guy right here, Simon Pegg, who he had him write down um, a, a few weeks prior it's your birthday coming up. I want you to write down a birthday present. Anything you want to write down, seal up the envelope, put it in your pocket. Show up a month later, and I'm going to change what it is that you think you wrote down on this thing, okay? So he tells him to write down what he's going to write, and then by neuro-linguistic programming, he's going to change what he, what he thought he wrote down. Thank you very much. Excellent. So uh, we spoke on the phone uh, a few days ago. Yes. And I asked you uh, to write down something you'd like for your birthday. Yes. I also asked you to sign the back of it when I spoke to you and gave you these instructions so that basically when you brought it with you today, which I hope you have done, you uh -huh. know that no one's going to steam it open or switch it or do anything with it. Absolutely. All kept secret? Very much so. Excellent. All right. Well, I have bought you a present. <laughs> now, don't get overexcited. It okay. is in the big box behind you. Right. Right? <laughs> it may be a small present in a big box. Right. Or it may be a big present in a big box. Okay. The size of the box will not necessarily give you any clues. Sure. All right. When you walk into a shop and you see something that you know you have to have, mm -hmm. what is that feeling like? Describe it for me. Uh, I guess it's quite sort of sudden, and you sort of you, you have a, a definite um, positivity about it. And often you'll go away and see other things, but then you come back to the thing you saw first. And Excellent. It's like, you know. Well, just take that feeling. I just sort of amplify it a bit for me because it is a really good feeling. It's okay. important to understand that feeling of positivity that sure. you describe. Okay. Um, and also, very nice to meet you and thank you for coming on the show. Let me explain to you how I buy gifts or presents for people, all right? And this is the best way to handle, bar none, the, the, the problem of, you know, what to settle for when you're gonna buy gifts for somebody that's a little bit difficult to buy for, all right? Now what I do is rather than recycle the same sort of two tired bottles of wine or, or box of chocolates, which are no fun to receive, I go out and I buy anything, and then I make that person 
fall in love with it, all right, by creating a strong feeling of desire for that object. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And it absolutely works. They get all sort of pumped up, you know, they get that feeling of that positivity you were describing. They beam excitement for it. Um, and, you know, it's a win-win thing because they get a present that they love and, you know, I get rid of some stuff out the back of my kitchen cupboard or whatever. What I want you to really understand about this, because it's important, is that that feeling is so strong, can be so extreme, that it can replace the memory of what they actually wanted. So even though two days before they may have said, I want X, whatever that is, you know, like a really nice car, like a BM or an Xbox or something like that, something they really wanted, suddenly now they think they always wanted what I got them. You know, and they're like, well, why would I want another car or an Xbox? That'd be useless to me. And suddenly this thing is useless to them because they're so delighted and surprised by what I got them that they forget what they originally wanted. Does that make sense? It actually replaces that memory. Yes. Yeah, yes. excellent, cool. Good, so, you can have anything you like. What's your dream present? The BMX bike. A BMX bike? Yeah. That'd be fantastic. And that would make you feel great, wouldn't it? It would fulfill a childhood dream. Really? Is it a childhood dream to have one? <laughs> I never Excellent. got one when I was You never got one when you were a kid, so it'd be great to have one. Okay. Do you want to have a look? Yes. Yes. So he says a BMX bike. If you were paying attention to what he was saying, he was accentuating the Bs, the Ms, and the Xs. And instead of say him saying, I buy something from somebody, he actually said, I bike something from someone. But see, because you're kind of not really paying attention and it's so much information coming in, it just goes right through your, through your head and you're not paying attention. So he then says, I wanted a BMX bike. So then he takes him out and he shows him what it, what it is. It's a BMX bike. And he says, now I want you to pull out that piece of paper in your pocket and I want you to see what you wrote I'm on it. I'm genuinely a bit freaked out in a nice way. I came in here thinking, if I can suss this out, if there's some kind of thing going on that, that you know, I can work out logically, I'm going to play along and... <laughs> but I'm just, I'm stunned. That's definitely my right, and that's my J. And I never, I've got no need for a leather jacket, and I don't know what's going on. He wrote on the piece of paper he wanted a leather jacket. And he's so confused at this point that he's like freaked out. And he almost is just like, what's going on here? How did you, I don't understand, that's my handwriting. But he wrote down, I wanted a leather jacket. So just by words and saying words in the right way and accentuating the right parts, we know neurologically we have the technology to change what you think. We have that technology. It's called neuro-linguistic programming. Now, let's move away from this sort of fun little thing right here and let's bring it a little bit closer back to home. What if they were to use neuro-linguistic programming in a movie? What if they were to take this same technology and instead of telling you little words here and there, but da 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 da, they were to apply it to a different movie and place it in different films? And that's exactly what he did right here. He wanted to see if I tell people and subliminally put things in there in a little tiny commercial before a movie called Ocean's 12, would people actually walk out of the theater and forget the movie that they just watched? And here's what he did. Can I have a look at where it says forget the film over the girl, the girl with the rose mm -hmm. in her hair? I think that's a frame too long. Can we get that down to one frame? Let's see how that works. This is the Genesis Cinema in East London, which kindly agreed to include our ad amongst the trailers for a screening of Ocean's 12, a carefully chosen film which, if the ad works, the audience will not be able to remember. Not a bad thing. 
For legal reasons, patrons were told that some filming would happen, but our cameras were hidden in dark corners and people had no idea of the experiment. Obviously, I didn't expect the ad to make everyone forget the film, but I hoped a few would. So then here he comes back. Oh, I didn't show the end of this. You actually have to see the end of this. But they could remember. Why don't you tell me about the film you just saw? Um. <laughs> it's a bit weird. <laughs> so how often do you go to film? Uh, I don't go much, about once a month. Is there a particular genre you like or don't like? Um, I like foreign movies. Uh -huh. But yeah. this one you... And I, I, I don't remember anything about the movie. It's about a heist that goes wrong. Um, and then it comes together because the guy's got a contact with his mother. If I try to picture the actual scene, I see like a sit, and it's going to sound even worse, like just a sieve. I remember the whole thing, yeah, whole thing, yeah. Wicked, awesome film. So here, I, I'm not going to play them all, but time and time again, a lot of people forgot the film. Not everybody, but a lot of people did. Now, here's another um, media expert at the... Um, He's a director at the Children's Hospital in Boston, and uh, he wrote an article. I just went on the internet, and I typed into the internet, what happens in your brain when you go and watch a 3D movie? Just wanted to know. And here's one of the articles that popped up. And I think you'll find this pretty interesting. It says, so what does your brain do when you're sitting in a theater looking at when a giant screen wearing 3D glasses, swimming in surround sound, and processing 24 images that flip by per second? Your brain dutifully processes those stimuli, and it does little else. In fact, your prefrontal cortex, which is involved in impulse control, future thinking, and moral choices, is basically inactivated during this process. And that is why you get lost in the movie. It's shut off. I want you to think about that spiritually. Because when you go to a movie and you sit and you stare at this bright light blinking at you 24 frames per second, so much information is flooding into your system and then putting a three-dimensional um, mathematical problem to your brain that has to piece it back together spatially, your brain stops using the frontal lobe. You know what's interesting about the frontal lobe? When you pray to God, where do you think you pray to God? The frontal lobe. When you drink alcohol, why do you think you do stupid things when you drink alcohol? Because it affects your frontal lobe. So what you have now done is placed yourself in a situation where you're in a dark room listening to these crazy thoughts of these directors, which I'm not even going to go into their belief system, opening your mind in the alpha brainwave pattern and shutting off your ability to think about or communicate with God and consciously think about the information that goes into your brain. The devil is brilliant with the technology that he's creating that is manipulating people's minds. And many of our kids, brothers and sisters, I can't even begin to tell you how much this crushes my heart time and time again. I go to our youth groups, our, our colleges, our universities, and 95% of our youth and everybody are watching all of these movies. It's not what our church is supposed to be focusing on. How many of you have heard of neurocinema? 
Do you know what an fMRI is? A functional MRI. It's medical technology that they can go in and they can actually see what's going on inside your brain. And what it's doing is as your hemoglobin, which is iron rich, is traveling around inside your brain, this big gigantic magnet is tracking where the hemoglobin is bringing oxygen. So what it can do is it can track what parts of your brain are being active during this process. And by default, what they can do is they can monitor exactly how much a movie is affecting you. And guess what? Almost every single film today is run through an fMRI machine where they're testing and honing and shaping the movie to give you the maximum amount of mental interaction with the movie. And here's a director that's talking about doing that. With neurocinema technology, filmmakers can now look inside your mind to make better movies. I'm Peter Katz. I'm a film producer. Studios rely on people to accurately fill out questionnaires after a test screening. The problem is it's difficult to remember specific details of a film and what you felt about each scene. We will scan the brain of our test subject, Bridget. She's going to watch my horror film Popsicle inside a fMRI machine to measure her fear. Bridget will watch two scenes in a Siemens 3T MRI. The data from the scan will be converted into a real-time view of Bridget's amygdala and other regions of her brain to be analyzed by the team. Okay, we're going to get started, Bridget. Okay. Are you doing okay? All right, here we go. What we're looking for, the amygdala, is right here. Um, so after we analyze this in about two weeks, we are hoping to see activation here, the amygdala. So you could see fear, like if she's scared. Like if, the, if she's actually scared, you could see that right on the brain. The amygdala has controls fear, yeah. anger, rage, um, anything that's fight or flight. So if she's having any of those emotions, I think that's pretty good for a horror film. So basically, they're starting to test these. There's tons of information on this. If you want to check it out, go see what movies they've run through fMRIs. Stanford University cuts all of their trailers from Hollywood. They send them up to Stanford and have them put people in fMRIs so that they can uh, study what scenes would be the best to put in trailers to make people come and watch the movies. And NeuroCinema, right here, it talks about at the Topanga Film Festival in Southern California, which will include a number of neuromarketing features. Seven neuroscientists will discuss the film imagery and its effect on the conscious and subconscious processes of the viewer's brains. Even at the film festivals, they're having neuroscientists come and tell you this is how you make your movie better so that more people will be invested into your movie. They're technologically advancing so rapidly that they're tapping into the best parts of your brain and shutting things off and they know what it's doing. Here's an example of this. This is a real fMRI study of the trailer for Avatar. Okay? So as you'll notice right here, or no, I'm sorry, this isn't Avatar, this is um, uh, uh, Wonder, um, Alice in Wonderland, okay? So I want you to notice, remember what I said in 29 seconds or less, your brain frontal lobe starts to shut off? 
So when you start watching it, you have some activity going on in the frontal lobe. And I want you to notice in about 29 seconds, all of a sudden you're going to start to notice all of this disappearing and basically going into the back part of your visual cortex. And you are then vroom, sucked into the movie. Visually, we know and we can represent exactly what's happening inside your brain. Now, other technology that's emerging out of this whole thing is eye-tracking technology. Here's an actual uh, trailer, and what they're doing is they're tracking your eyes to see what you're looking at on the frame so that they can put in the frame various things because they know exactly what you're going to look at. You're going to look right there, you're going to look right there, and then guess what? I've studied this thing long enough to know that there is a ton of things placed in the background of movies. They know what you're going to look at. They know what your mind is going to subliminally look at in the films. So here, back to this um, hypnotherapist. Listen to what he says about uh, uh, hypnosis. It's really, really important here, and that's the conscious, what we call the critical factor, those seven plus or minus two fa uh, pieces of information. The critical factor is what you were taught as a child growing up when you said, don't run out into the road. You want them to stay, stay in the driveway, look both ways before they go across the street. So you've got all this stuff set up by your parents, by your teachers, by your community to protect you, to make you safe. And what we're looking for in hypnosis, what TV, what commercials uh, are looking to do is to interrupt that process. They want you to get past the critical factor is what it's called. So the critical factor, all of us have what they call a critical factor in our brain. And here's a simple explanation of what a critical factor is. How you feel about your mother. How you feel about your mother. I could never walk up to you and actually change how you feel about your mother. Why? Because I don't know your mother. I've never met your mother. And all of a sudden, you've grown up with your mother. So that's a critical factor. Guess what else is a critical factor? How you believe about God. I could never really stand up here if you've had a whole upbringing about God and all of a sudden you have all of these thoughts and preconceived ideas that you've built a lifetime understanding there's not much that I could say that can change that. But guess what? There's a way around your critical factor, and it's through your emotions. So instead of changing how you feel about your mother, guess what I can do? I can change your emotion about your mother, and I can start to change how you feel about your mother, which will ultimately change how you actually perceive your mother. And if I give you enough negative emotions about your mother, you will negatively view your mother. Let me tell you about our God. If you hear enough movies over and over and over again, slam our God left and right, over and over and over again, guess what? It gets past your critical factors and can affect the way that you believe and feel about God because they're attaching negative emotions to your feelings. Yeah, in the movie Inception, they, they used a lot of time distortion. Time distortion in hypnosis and NLP is, is huge. Uh, again, people can follow time for so long, the seven plus or minus two, before they lose it, and then they can't keep track of time. So back to television, back to the movies, when you start to have a belief change or you think it's a certain way, you say, hey, don't watch that or don't do that yourself, people go, nah. They have reasons, a whole bunch of them, just like with the shoe and saw, of why they can't be hypnotized. So as a, in a movie... Like the inception, when you're playing with time and you're playing with time distortion, now you can, and if you notice, they went to different levels of time. 
And that's why what I was talking about in the video that you saw, they go to different levels of time, then they close it off. Now they got the cognitive dissonance, they get the memories. So they're not only taking the movie through it, they're taking you through it. I mean, if I it really I had to go back and search to remember about the Chinese guy, the old Chinese guy. I mean, you forget about him because he's they open a loop, they close a loop, they open another loop, multiple embedded loops, and then they, they you, and you'll have amnesia for them. So what you want to do as a hypnotherapist when you're doing it on the positive side is to get people into those trance, open so many of them, don't close them, you open them. You open them on one side, you start to tell a story, you don't finish a story, you, you go into another story. You start telling a story, you don't finish a story, you go into another story. And then when you get at the core, and the core of the Inception movie was what? They got this guy to go into the room with his father in a made-up scenario about what was going to happen to the father. So now if you engage the imagination at that point, that depth of trance, there's no critical factor there. There's nothing blocking from anything you can put in there. So if you could change people's feelings, that changes beliefs, that changes convictions, they'll do all kinds of different things, which the guy in the movie did. But what did they have to first do? The belief that held it, and that's why they had the psychologist there, the belief that held it together was that his father did something nasty to him as he was dying. I know you were disappointed. I couldn't be you. You, you can't quite no. hear what he's saying, but I'll explain it. I was disappointed. This is the scene that he's talking about. You're in the deepest state of hypnosis. But when they found out really he was doing something beautiful to him, what did he change? It was his emotions that changed. It was like, oh, I gotta look at it differently now. So here in this movie, I did not see this movie, but he, the reason that I went and actually interviewed this guy is because I was looking on uh, YouTube and I found him, he lived up in Shasta, and I was looking at different films and I was typing in different films and just the word hypnosis. And this guy has a whole bunch of things on YouTube that talks about, he thinks it's wonderful, great idea that they're using hypnosis in films, we can change the world doing this, and he talks about how they do this. And what he talked about, the, the U-shaped storyline, is what they call opening loops in hypnosis. How they put someone in a state of hypnosis is they start a story over here. Then they don't finish the story, they start another story. Then they go back to the first story and they move down the line a little bit and they keep moving back and down the line until they converge the two stories together and you are in your deepest state of hypnosis at that point. And what he says is at that point, there's no critical factor. You have shut down people's critical factor. You can tell them whatever you want to tell them. And the scene that you just watched right there was a scene between a guy and his father. And what his father, he walks into his father and he had thought his whole life that his father had done something terrible to him. And he goes, I'm sorry that I was not more like you. And his father turns around and says, no, I'm sorry that you tried to be like me. And I thought about that, and I went home and I went, that's really interesting. The deepest state of hypnosis is between a father and a son, and it's sitting there telling him, you shouldn't be like me, you should be like your own person. And so I thought about that spiritually, and I said, you know, my Bible is full of Bible texts that want me to be like my father want me to learn to, to constantly mold and shape and give my life over to that of my Father. What could this possibly be teaching people? So all I did was I, I, I looked into um, different films. I thought I had put this in there. In fact, I'll come back to this in a second. No, I, I'll show you this in a second. I, I, I thought I had put in there, but I, but I guess I didn't. Um, 
If you just type in that movie, Inception and Gnosticism, some of our other videos have talked about Gnosticism. I'm not going to go into a big explanation of it. But Gnosticism is taking the same stories of the Bible and inverting the hermeneutics of the Bible. So what they do is they make Satan look like good God. They make God look like evil. They take Judas the disciple and make him good, and they make uh, all the rest of the disciples bad. They just take the same stories in the Garden of Eden and everything, and they make the snake in the Garden of Eden good and everybody else bad, and they flip it all upside down. But they use the stories of the Bible. So just type in that movie, Inception and Gnosticism, and every single thing that comes in in Google, this is Gnosticism, this is Gnosticism, this is teaching Gnosticism, this is teaching Gnosticism. Do you know how many of our youth went and watched that movie? I was just at a youth camp this last week, and I just asked, how many youth have seen this? Educating our own church, the, the, the teachings of Gnosticism. How, many, how often do they use hypnosis in movies? It's over and over and over again. You'll start to notice these things in the background. This is the opening credits to the, uh, the Wizard of Oz. This isn't a very far stretch. I'm sure you could probably think of this. But think about all the different things that they're throwing at you. They put you in a state of hypnosis before the movie even starts. What are they teaching you? I want to show you this clip. Some of you have probably seen this clip, and some of you will be shocked by this clip, but I want to show you because I want to illustrate a point. I was at one of our Adventist colleges, and I was talking about this movie, Fight Club, and I wanted to ask everybody in the room who here has seen this movie, and you're going to see the video of everybody's hand go up, and then I asked, where in the movie do they speak about God, and listen to what they say. I want to ask a quick question. I have seen this movie probably 20 times, maybe more. This was one of my favorite films. How many people in this room have seen this movie? Look at how many hands just went up. Can somebody tell me in this movie where they speak about God? <laughs> you got one person. What scene? One person. All of you people raised your hand. And only one person told me when they talk about God. And here's what was said about our amazing, loving God that we serve. And this is said to our Christian brothers and sisters that nobody, myself included, could remember. And I had seen the movie 20 times, and this is what God was said. Our fathers were our models for God. If our fathers bailed, what does that tell you about God? No, 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 I don't. Listen to me. You have to consider the possibility that God does not like you. He never wanted you. In all probability, he hates you. This is not the worst thing that can happen. It isn't. We don't need him. We don't agree. Like Damnation, man. Redemption. We are God's unwanted children. So be it. Okay, so Listen, you can run water over your hand to make it worse, or look at me. Or you can use vinegar to neutralize the burn. Please let me have it, please. First, you have to give up. First, you have to know, not fear. Know that someday you're going to die. You don't know how this feels. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. Is that a sobering thought? People ask all the time, why do we have to focus on all this negative stuff? Why do we have to talk about this thing? None of us have a problem with this. I've spoken at some of the most conservative churches where everybody looked like Ellen White in the church, and they're coming up to me going, I've seen every movie you're talking about. 
And I'm like, what? You don't even look like you own a TV. I used to think it was so weird that God asked me to do this ministry and asked us to go around and speak about this, this weird thing in churches until I started to really dive into the Bible myself and I realized before a reformation ever happened in the Bible, God said, tear down those idols. Get rid of them so that you can focus on eternal things. So the bottom line of basically NLP, any change work, any conditioning, any brainwashing, it goes down to emotions. You can just think, I'll just use something really basic. Think of something in your life that at one time you didn't believe in or didn't think about because you felt a certain way about it, and then you change that. Why was it? Because all of a sudden you got a different feeling, and that different feeling then started producing different pictures in your head, different internal dialogue, how you talk to yourself, and different feelings, and that together, enough of those forms a belief system, and that changes everything. So all of it is boiling down to emotions, and what you just saw is a heightened emotional state. In that movie, pay attention to that. In the heightened state of emotion is when they slide these things in there. You know what? You have to consider the possibility that God doesn't like you. It's in a heightened state of emotion that that happens in, and it happens time and time and time again. Oh, yeah, here, I just got it in the wrong place. There's Inception, Gnosticism, Gnosticism, Gnosticism. Anybody can Google all this stuff. Here's a bunch of Gnostic websites. Here's what's really interesting. Dark City, Matrix, Inceptions are Gnostic manuals. And these are all the movies that all of our kids are watching. If you really want to change the world for real, let the Gnostic religion let you know how. And all these movies are coming from this Gnostic perspective. Gnosticism, Gnosticism, here's the top 10 Gnostic stories of 2010, and there it is right there. I'm going to maybe skip through a couple of these just for the sake of time, because I want to show you something. Thor is a movie that is extremely popular amongst young people, and notice, actually, I'll, I'll play this for you so you can kind of get a sense of, of the next clip that I'm going to show, and I might just show one or two more. But I want you to notice something. In this, this is just the trailer. I've never seen this movie, don't want to see this movie. All I did was look at the trailer. Notice how it's a very heavenly, angelic looking place. It's sort of this gothic looking building, but it's very reminiscent of a, of a, a world somewhere else. And notice how the scene takes place in a large golden room. Notice how in the large golden room, there is a throne sitting on the end of the thing with two what appears to be angel wings over the throne. And the dialogue is between the good guy and the bad guy Thor is supposed to be the hero, and so it's between Thor and his father. And listen to what is said. I have sacrificed much to achieve peace. Thor, through your arrogance and stupidity, you have opened these peaceful realms and innocent lives to the horror and devastation of war. You are a vain, greedy, cruel boy. And you are an old man and a fool! You're unworthy! Father. I now take from you your power. And I cast you out! Please, open your eyes. Oh, no, this is Earth, isn't it? Where did it come from? So 
So I know a lot of you can't hear it. Maybe you can turn it up just a little bit back there. Here's what he says. When he's talking to his father, he says, you're a great, vain, greedy, cruel boy. You traded peace for war. I now take from you your power, and I cast you out in a bolt of lightning down to earth. Let me ask you a question. Who is full of vain, greed, traded peace for war, created this whole mess that we're in in the first place, and was cast down to earth in a bolt of lightning? Do you know how many of our youth are watching this? Ask them. It's sobering. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and they were gloating in the fact that they could cast out demons, and he said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't gloat. Don't gloat. Because I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That's where we get that from. And just look at the titles of these movies, The Dark World. It does not take a far stretch to understand where they're coming from. Iron Man. Here you've got a picture. This is their real movie posters and stuff of a guy falling from what looks to be like heaven burning. It does not take a far stretch. If you know your Bible, you know the truth, you can easily see what the counterfeit is doing. This you cannot see very well, but any of you that want to look this up for yourself, right here, this is the bad guy of the new Iron Man movie. And as I was watching this trailer, that's all I ever do is analyze trailers anymore because I don't even have to see the movie. They tell you everything about the trailer. And the bad guy here, he says, he calls everybody his sheep, his children, and that he is not, uh, he's not a terrorist. He considers himself a teacher. So let me ask you a question. Who's a teacher that calls you children and sheep? That's Jesus, right? So all of a sudden in the trailer, I pause on this point where he's out here. Anytime I see words written in the screen, I pause it because I say, I want to know what they're writing on the screen. Everything in the screen will, is put there for a specific reason. And guess what it says right here? Redeemed through blood on his shirt. You look at any of the other Iron Man stories. The first evil guy in Iron Man was named Obadiah. Obadiah means servant of the Lord. You look at the pattern. When I see a pattern over and over and over again, you know what that denotes? That denotes intelligence, and that denotes that that was put there for a reason. Transformers. Another one of the most popular films that has sucked many of our church members into, you have two different sides. One called the, um, the Autobots and one called the Decepticons. The Decepticons are the ones that they're saying, look, this is their movie poster right here, and I'll point this out because I want to show you how deceptive even the movie posters are. It tells you psychologically to destroy the Decepticons. It tells you psychologically to protect the Autobots, okay? So these are the good guys. Before time. Before, before I start that, what you're going to hear is this guy right here. This is the supposedly good guy of the movie, and he's explaining what the entire Transformers story is all about. So listen to what he says. Before time began, there was the cube. We know not where it comes from only that it holds the power to create worlds and fill them with life. That is how our race was born. For a time, we lived in harmony, but like all great power, some wanted it for good, others for evil. And so began the war. 
So the information that's told to you in the very beginning of the film, this is the opening scene of the film, is there is a war in the galaxy. There is this thing called the cube that has the ability to create worlds and fill them with life. My Bible only tells me there is only one thing on the face of this entire universe that has the ability to create a world and fill it with life, and who is that? That's more specifically, Jesus. Here is the entire premise of the entire Transformer series right here. Freedom is the right of all sentient beings. You all know there's only one way to end this war. We must destroy the cube. Psychologically put into everybody's mind. The only way to end this war is to destroy the very thing that has the ability to create worlds and fill them with life. Now does it make sense why it says protect them and destroy the bad guys? The whole thing is built upside down. You wonder why we have so many youth leaving the church, myself included. Do you know that I'm no different than anyone else that has sat there and filled my head with so many of these movies? I left the church, brothers and sisters. I moved to Hollywood. I started working for this industry because I thought that that's what would give me happiness in life. And I stopped reading this. I stopped my relationship with God. If you watch more movies than you read your Bible, I want you to pay attention to that. I want you to pay attention to that. Megamind, I'm just going to show you this real quick and I'm going to end on this point. When you start to look, you start to see all these elements. When you, hypnosis is brought to your attention, these are real posters. This is not something I made up. You notice all these things. Giving bad a good name. Flipping the model upside down. Here's the story. Basically, you have a good guy and a bad guy. And the good guy ends up on Christmas Day. And the bad guy ends up at the prison for the criminally insane. So they're telling you right here, one of them is Jesus, one of them is Satan. In fact, they even illustrate uh, the Jesus character as walking on water. But the entire premise of the story is thus. A new threat has come to Metro City. Consider yourselves under new management. And Metro Man is nowhere to be found. He'll destroy the whole city. I'm sorry. I'm finally free to get in touch with my true power. Making awesome music. You're kidding, right? When the world needs a hero. You need to be that guy. Well, this is a strange turn of events. He will answer the call. So guess what? When Jesus wants to stop being your savior, guess who has to step up and be your savior? Wow. They even tell you in the end of the trailer, this, people, is the battle between good and evil. It will blow your mind. And they play these two songs together. I make bad look so good. DreamWorks Mega Mind. You're kidding, right? The two songs that they blend together is Highway to Hell, I'm Loving You, together, back and forth, psychologically implanted into people's minds, 
over and over. I, I could stand up here and show you example after example after example. Any of these new movies that are coming out, I don't even have to look very far. All I do is look at the movie poster. I don't even got to watch the trailer anymore because this entire movie is about when the world needs a hero they call the villain. Brothers and sisters, we are engaged in a full-blown war. And this war is to replace your relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 tells me, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Time is so precious to us, brothers and sisters. Time is as gold. If we would at last share in the reward of the righteous, we must wisely improve the time of our probation. Moments are more precious to us than gold. Put on that armor of God. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us, not, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And you know what I think is so beautiful about the armor? What is the armor? Is the armor to do battle? Is it really? Because the armor, it is the belt of truth, the helmet, the hope for salvation. All of these things, these are Christ. The true armor is just putting on Christ and having Christ's character. This, I pray, is my hope for all of you, that you seriously consider everything that you put into your mind. Be not wasteful of those precious moments in idle things that have no bearing on eternal things. We don't have the time anymore. May you all have a blessed, blessed weekend. Let's all stand and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, as we understand the impact that these things have upon our life, may it not overshadow the power that you have to break us free from this. Lord, there's a lot of things that we can get ourselves distracted with in this world. But it is my prayer, Lord, that you convict the hearts of many people that hear this message so that they may just take their eyes away from the things of this world and place them solely upon you. Lord, may we dedicate our lives to you in a mighty way, to any amount of work. It's time for us, Lord, to be about your business. So it is my prayer that everyone in this room understands the importance of giving our wills and our times over to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www asiministries.org or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons please visit www.audioverse.org